Hello and welcome to Raising Learners, a conversation about supporting your child's learning in school and at home. Throughout this series, we discuss questions like how to build a great relationship with your child's school and teacher, how to keep your child safe online, and how to navigate the sometimes challenging final years of high school. I'm Julie Green from raisingchildren.net.au and I'll be hosting today's episode. I want to start by acknowledging the traditional owners of the lands where each of us are recording today and to pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. For me, that's the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. Today we're talking about supporting children with additional needs at school. I'm joined by Dr Kerry Bull, consultant to Noah's Ark Incorporated, and Dr Tim Moore, Senior Research Fellow at the Murdoch Children's Research Institute. Welcome to you both. We often hear comments that highlight how important the connection is between schools and parents and their children with disabilities. Why are these connections important and what can schools and parents do to help that connection? Tim, perhaps you can lead us off. Parents and schools need to work together to support kids because they both have knowledge about the child that needs to be shared. This is the most important thing to think about. The parent knows about the individual child, their circumstances, their preferences, the things they like to do, what makes them comfortable and so on. Those are things that the school absolutely needs to know in order to be able to ensure that the child slots in to the school easily and so on. So the, the most fundamental thing is a sharing of knowledge and a recognition that both types of knowledge, as it were, are equally important. So what the parent knows about the child is just as important as what the teacher knows about the curriculum and the school and so on. So the two of them, the two sets of knowledge need to be brought together in the interests of coming up with a plan that will enable the child to fit in. Great. So, you know, when schools are working in partnership with children with disability and their families, what, what are some other things that schools can focus on? In general, my take on this is, is that schools need to value diversity in all its shapes and forms. And so that the children with disability are not the only ones who needed to be slotted into schools and enabled to participate. There are children who are from ethnic backgrounds or have health problems or, and so on. So it's important that the school actually sets out from the beginning to cater for every child. You want a, you want a school that is genuinely interested in your child, that genuinely wants to know what your child is hampered by and how they can facilitate their participation in school programs and genuinely has expectations of the child that they will be able to slot in and the school will be, in, be able to help them. Mm. Okay, so I think um, that 
for me, that raises the learning environment that schools offer children. Perhaps, Kerry, what are your thoughts on what a rich learning environment looks like for kids with additional needs? And what are some of the things that parents can look for here? Well, I think firstly, for me, a a rich learning environment is not just about the physical environment, although that's very important, but a rich learning environment for children is where there's students are feeling welcome, they feel they belong, they're engaged, and they're actively involved in their learning program, particularly with their peers. And I highlight about their peers because we often forget about the importance of friendships and the learning that happens when children are working together on tasks and activities. And that's an important piece of learning, not just for children with developmental disabilities, but for all children. So I think that's an important part of a rich learning environment. But We see this rich learning environment happen when there's a culture of learning, I think, within a school, within a classroom. And that culture is really supported by teachers who are committed to understanding the student and their learning needs and including them in the development of the the work that they're doing together, but also making the appropriate adjustments to suit the needs of all of the children in the classroom. Can you tell us what you mean by adjustments? What might that look like? Mm, Sure. In the teaching field, they often refer to this as universal learning design. And it, it actually came from the architecture field where architects were thinking about providing physical access to buildings. And now we think of it more broadly about access to learning opportunities for children when they're at school. So this universal design for learning or adaptations might be changes to a teaching approach. So it might be, for example, the teacher breaking down information into smaller chunks or writing down or drawing or having pictures for the schedule of the day. It might be they're adjusting the physical environment. So, for example, having a a picture schedules to help students manage transitions during the day or what's coming next, or even uh, physical changes like having frequent movement breaks so that children can manage if they're having difficulty concentrating on the task at hand for too long. So all, all those things that you've just touched on there, that sounds like they're the kinds of things that help enable children to participate in their learning. Is there anything more you would add to what participation might look like in, in a school environment for children with additional needs? When I hear this working really well, when I hear from both teachers and families, they tell me about the child being actively engaged even in the design of the changes that needed to be to be made to their learning program or the activities they're doing. So Tim talks about the partnership between parents and teachers. But when we see children actively participating in their learning, they're also part of that. They're also part of the partnership where they're contributing even to their individual education plan. They're having a say about what works well for them, what their interests are, who it is that they want to be working with and so on. So, you know, our education departments do have policies around inclusive education and so on. So what sort of programs or initiatives can parents look for in a school when it comes to the kind of modifications that might be needed 
or assisting children with disability. Tim, I'm wondering what your thoughts are on this. The student support group to start off with is the mechanism through which all the planning is done and that includes the parent and the teacher or coordinator. It includes the student, as Kerry was just saying, tremendously important to have the student in there and to try and progressively build the child's voice as they grow. But the student support group can also include an advocate and a consultant and so on. So you can add people as required. And their job is to develop an an individual education plan for the child that specifies the kind of support they need, the kind of adjustments that Kerry was talking about, and so on. Those are the decisions that are made by that support group. They're meant to meet on a a termly basis. It's meant to be a partnership. This is how the teacher and the parent formally work together, and uh, it's tremendously important that they do so in in a genuine partnership way. Mm, That's really useful. Thanks, Tim. And you've both mentioned individual education plans. Can you elaborate on what those plans set out to do? Well, in the simplest sense, they set out to have a, a, a plan of action so that there can be a shared understanding of what are the goals and aspirations and the ways in which they can be uh, followed through for the student. As Tim said, the, the individual education plan is usually the piece of work that's done with the student support group. And they're really a working document. They should be reviewed regularly. The student themselves should be increasingly contributing to what's going in individual education plan, along with all of the knowledge that staff bring to teaching and learning and their knowledge of the curriculum. And again, knowledge of how adaptations might be made to support learning. I want to add something that, you know, it's to do with people who actually aren't in the support group, but might be able to help with the adaptations, the reasonable adjustments that are needed to a program or, you know, in order to ensure that the child participates. And that's the other kids. You know, what's tremendously important, Carrie's already mentioned the notion that the other children potentially very important in terms of friendships and so on, but also in terms of acceptance, making room for the person to participate in activities. And since all children with disabilities are unique and their needs are unique, then the kinds of adaptations that are needed are going to be special. You're going to have to make them up. And the one group that you might want to engage in that are the other kids. They'll come up with ways in which the the children with disabilities can be engaged. And that will also serve the purpose of gaining their commitment, as it were, their interest in the children with a disability. So increasing the chances that they will not be marginalised and just there to witness things rather than actively participate. Mm, Well, that's, um, yes, it's a great way to acknowledge what other children have to bring to the table. 
Just thinking about the school community more broadly, are there any other initiatives that either of you have seen or know about that parents can look for in a school when um, in, in regards to assisting their children with disability? I think increasingly we're seeing allied health practitioners uh, play an important role, particularly for those for, uh, children who are receiving funding through the National Disability Insurance Scheme. Where I see this working really well is particularly for younger children where allied health practitioners are working with the child in the family home and have a good understanding of the child's learning in a home environment and they're well practiced in family-centered practices, including the family and what they're doing. So when an allied health practitioner is working with the child and family in that way, they can be really active contributors to that student support group meeting and can provide really important information about the kind of adaptations that Tim just referred to. All right. Well, we've we've touched on learning at school and we've also talked about the different players who are part of that uh, partnership. Can you talk us through the different roles that, say, parents can play in regards to supporting their child's learning at school? When I think about that, I think that... Uh First of all, that parents have been supporting their children's learning and development since they were an infant, uh, so well before their child started attending school. And so we need to understand and acknowledge the contribution they bring because of the support they've been giving for all of those years. But that changes necessarily as their child starts to attend primary school, a much more busy and social environment, and the family begins to play a different, equally important, but different role in supporting their child's learning and development. I think that comes back to our early conversation about how they contribute to student support group meetings, the kind of relationship that they build with the teacher. So there can be shared understanding and a a really good contribution from families as well as teachers to what's happening on a day-to-day basis. Uh, yes, I'd, I'd make a, a point that it's important when the parents and teachers are establishing a partnership that they don't only talk about the problems or they don't only talk when problems arise. So you want the parents to be acknowledging to the teachers when things are going well when things are happening that are showing signs that the child is benefiting and enjoying school and so on, you want to give positive feedback to the teachers more often than you say, I think we've got a problem with this. So parents need to think about how they would have a relationship with anyone who is caring for their child, that you're complimenting them on things and observing things that the child is doing and responding to positively. Mm, Thanks, Tim. Kerry, any comments you'd like to add there? Yeah, look, I I totally uh, agree about the importance of, of focusing on strengths. I think the other tip I'd give is to be really intentional about the communication have a plan for that. How, how are we going to talk together? Is it a good time when I'm dropping him off in the morning or is it better if we email each other in, in the evening? Uh, what's the kind of turnaround time that I can expect to hear back from you? Can we have a student support group meeting even though my child's not eligible for funding? 
those sorts of questions and plan around the communication are, are really important to be able to get the relationship off on a good on a good footing. So Kerry, what about some practical examples uh, that you have seen parents and schools coming together really well to support the learning needs of a, a, a child with additional needs? I can probably pull on a, a recent example of a, a family uh, I know well who are now in a situation of, of home learning here in, in Victoria and relationship between the school the parents and the student has really been strengthened given the difficult circumstances everyone's in. And I think that's really because the together they've had much more regular communication. They've been able to talk very specifically about what the learning needs are of the student. They've involved the student in it. So together, the teacher, the parent and the student have all been on Zoom uh, talking about uh, how to support learning. And I think probably why it's worked so well is that there's been a, a shared empathy or understanding for each other's circumstances. The family's much more attuned to how tricky it is to be actively engaging their child in learning uh, throughout the day. The teacher is much more attuned to the kind of circumstances the family's managing in home learning and the student in amongst it all can see people caring for them, talking about how to help them with their learning. So it's been a really positive outcome for that student, for the family and I think probably for the ongoing relationship. I think they've worked out ways to do this together that's been really fabulous to see. Mm, and positive experiences like that give families and schools something to build on going forward, don't they? So, Tim, what is the evidence? What do we know about inclusive education for children? Well, there is conclusive evidence gathered over many years that inclusive education is beneficial, as beneficial as any other form of education, if not more so, for children who have got developmental disabilities. And so there's no evidence to support the fact that segregated forms of provision are more effective. And the other thing that's interesting about that evidence is that it tells us that inclusive education is beneficial for all children. And it's interesting to think why that's the case. Why should children who don't have notable disabilities benefit from having children with disabilities? Well, and one of the reasons may have to do with that notion of the fact that what that children are on a continuum, that the differences between children who have disabilities and those without can be quite small in some cases, and that if a school actually learns how to cater for children who have got more extreme forms of developmental problems, they will learn stuff that will be beneficial for other children as well. So there'll be other children who will benefit from the strategies, from the adaptations that they make to the environment and the curriculum. So there are benefits that will flow through. And quite apart from the whole notion of children being exposed to diversity and the importance that that has for our 
for their development, to see people who are different, people with disabilities being accepted and included. That's an important learning for us, for them as they enter adulthood, because it's extremely important that we continue to be able to cater for people with uh, disabilities in adult life. Mm, Well, look, thank you both so much. I think we've covered some really important ground there about partnership, communication, what school communities and other children have to offer families of children with disability. So thank you very much, Kerry Bull and Tim Moore. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us today. If you enjoyed listening, please subscribe and tell your friends. For more tips and information about the topics we've covered today, visit raisingchildren.net.au and education.vic.gov.au. I'd also like to acknowledge the Department of Education and Training Victoria for their support of this series. We hope you'll join us again next time.